1: Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision.
0: There's a new film. It's about to be released for Australian audiences and it retells the amazing story of Corrie Ten Boom. It's described as stunning, powerful and deeply moving. During the Second World War, the Nazis in Germany gathered Jewish people from the lands that they had conquered, and they sent them to concentration camps in Germany. More than six million Jewish people perished at the hands of the Nazis. One of the most famous stories of courage in the face of terror is that of Corrie ten Boom and her family in Holland who sheltered and hid those who were being hunted down by the Nazis. The family was betrayed, they were discovered and faced the consequences. Corrie ten Boom went on to survive brutal prisons and concentration camps. Well this year a new film with a creative twist is being released. It's the film version of a Broadway stage production based on the book written by Corrie Tenboom called The Hiding Place. And our absolute privilege today to welcome The Hiding Place screenwriter for the film, Pete Peterson from the U.S. He's at home in Nashville, Tennessee. Pete, a special welcome along to 2020.
2: Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, Pete, your overall impression, The Hiding Place, a story of faith, hope, love, and forgiveness in the face of unthinkable evil, there must be something that attracts you to a story like this.
2: Absolutely. It's interesting that you ask that question because when I was asked to write the adaptation, I had not heard of the story. Uh, I was vaguely familiar with some of the names involved, but uh, you know, I told the folks who asked me to, to work on it, if I would, uh, uh, could go read the book, I did, fell in love with it, and I said, yeah, let's do this. Uh, but the thing that really attracted to me, or that I was really attracted to about their story, is that in the middle of World War II, which is a real live shooting war, their entire country's falling on a daily basis, you have this family in the middle of the Netherlands, uh, just outside of Amsterdam, who picks up the weapon of hospitality and wields it. Um, for these massive ends uh, that almost are incalculable. The number of people that their hospitality saved uh, is difficult to even comprehend. Uh, if you think about there's 800 people that came through their home and went on to safety and the descendants and the creations and the, the books that have been written and the families that have been planted and the businesses that have grown from uh, these small acts of hospitality in a small watch shop on a corner in Harlem, in the Netherlands, is really remarkable.
0: It's a remarkable theme when you identify that hospitality, and uh, we might even enlarge a little more upon that as our conversation goes. But for listeners who are not quite so familiar with the Corrie Ten Boom story, The Hiding Place... I wonder if you can describe the story for us in a nutshell, the sort of
2: start to finish, and
0: we'll identify some of the important aspects.
2: Absolutely. So uh, the the Tin Booms were a Dutch family of watchmakers. Uh, They operated a store on a street corner in Harlem, just outside of Amsterdam. And 100 years prior to World War II, they began a weekly prayer group for the Jewish people. They felt moved to pray for the the people of of, uh, God. And a hundred years after that decision, they found themselves in the middle of the Holocaust. And those prayers were put into real action as they began to welcome these people into their homes and to hide them from the people that would exterminate them. And they did that throughout the war for several years, moving uh, untold numbers through their house uh, until they were eventually betrayed, captured by the Nazis, And then uh, most of the family was sent to prison camps. Uh, After the war, Corrie Ten Boom, as a uh, middle-aged woman in her 50s, found herself uh, back home with no more family left, essentially. And she went on to spend the rest of her life traveling the world, uh, testifying to her experiences. And Pete, you're
0: a screenwriter. This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for you to take hold of what is a very famous story and adapt this for the screen from a stage production. Uh, take us into your own connection here, because uh, when I say once-in-a-lifetime, yeah. this is this is uh, you I'm quoting here, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. I'm actually uh, not normally a screenwriter. I'm a playwright, so I adapted this show for the stage, Uh, intentionally. And then uh, we thought, uh, we were so proud of the performances involved with it, that we thought, how can we preserve this for audiences long after uh, closing night? Uh, And so we got involved with a couple of filmmaking uh, folks here in Nashville and we filmed it cinematically uh, to provide what we're kind of calling a cinematic theatrical presentation. It is certainly more than just a play on film. It is a, a feature Uh, cinematic presentation of a play that I think most people have never seen anything like before. Um, So yeah, it was a lot of, it was very exciting for me to work on. As a writer, um, I'm always drawn to themes and this particular story just has a uh, a, a nest of themes involved in it that uh, are very attractive to me. Themes of suffering and hope and forgiveness and despair, um, all great things to write about. And then on top of that, It's a story that's been so beloved by an entire generation of people, uh, mostly my parents' generation, but the story has not been retold in 50 years. Uh, The original book came out in 1971. The original movie came out in 75. And, uh, you know, I feel really strongly that we need to learn how to keep our stories alive and to retell them well if we're going to preserve them for future generations. And it's been a privilege to be a part of that.
0: And, of course, you've been a part of the Broadway production of The Hiding Place. And uh, whose idea was it? Or was it a burst of inspiration that came at one point that said, you know, what we've got here on stage could be easily adapted for cinema? Um, Is that something you can reflect on? Was there a moment? Was there a burst of inspiration?
2: Yeah, it's actually been a long process, and I should point out, it's not a Broadway show. Broadway's in New York. We're in Nashville, and it's not a musical either. I don't want to confuse anybody. We don't have any singing Nazis. It's a very dramatic play, uh, but the, the folks that I work with here in Nashville are just incredibly brilliant, creative people, and during COVID, when we couldn't do theater, we started playing around with ways to film theater. Uh, in, in a very creative approach to that. And so uh, we did a couple of short films uh, during the COVID pandemic when we were all locked down. And then as we came out of that and began to mount this on the stage for its premiere, we thought, can we bring those lessons to this story and film this at feature length in a way that's gonna be compelling to audiences? Uh, so that's where how that idea came about. And it's just been a pleasure and I just, kind of a burst of creativity has gone into it that I'm very excited for people to see.
0: Some listeners will no doubt remember the original movie, and as you say, that goes back 50 years. Now, this stage adaptation commissioned in honour of Jeanette Clift George, and she was the one who played the original Corrie in the original film, uh, so, uh, give us some, insi- yeah. some insight here into well, that inspiration.
2: Yeah, that's interesting that you asked that. There's a lot of people that see that we've remade it, and their first reaction is, like, you know, well, how dare Hollywood get involved with remaking this movie that we love so much? And I just have to say that, you know, we are not Hollywood. We are people who love the story. And the reason that it exists at all is because when Jeanette Cliff George, who played Corey in the movie, passed away in 2017. The theater community in Houston, Texas, that she had established and been a vibrant part of for, you know, her entire life. They decided to honor her by commissioning this new adaptation of the story that she so is so beloved for. And so they built a brand new $80 million theater in downtown Houston, commissioned this play, and uh, we did the world premiere down there in 2018. So... You know, I, I very much understand that people are nervous about uh, us adapting something that's so beloved, but I can assure you that it's been done with the utmost care, uh, and we've been privileged to have feedback from people who known Corey personally and many people who knew Jeanette personally who have been involved in the development throughout, and uh, they've come away happy with what we've done with it.
0: No doubt there will be listeners who will be saying, is this a movie or is this a play that I'm (laughs) going to be seeing at the cinema? So uh, how do you describe it? Uh, Is it one? Is it the other?
2: Very good question. The answer is both. This is a play. This is a movie. Uh, I think we've all seen uh, filmed stage plays before, and they're very rarely compelling. Um, and as somebody who's a film lover, uh, a real fan of the cinematic language, uh, was not interested in just filming a play. Uh, so, what we've done is we have, you know, it's a multi camera shoot that, we, that took place over the course of two days where we've got the steady cams up on the stage, weaving in and out of the action, close ups with the actors. It's shot much more as if it's a feature film that just happens to be taking place on a stage. And the result is, you know, you know we've had audiences it, it, when, we, when it was on stage here in Nashville, we ran for four weeks, sold out every show. Uh, and we've had audiences be very suspicious, like, I loved that show. What are you going to do with it on a movie screen? And they've gone to see the movie and they came out and they said, I don't know which one I love more. They're very different experiences. Uh, people have said that watching the film is like being on stage during the play and watching it happen all around you. So I'm really interested in seeing audiences' reactions, uh, because so far they've been very positive.
0: We'll come back and talk more about some of the production and the production values about this new film, but let's deep dive into some of the challenging things that are going on. I mean, the film is centered on the Holocaust, a dreadful, brutal time in the history of the whole world, and... At a time like this, some will be saying, well i'm I'm observing some rising anti-Semitism even now. And if it's not anti-Semitism that I'm personally connected to seeing, I'm seeing some tensions in race relations and on various continents around the world. Uh, is a movie like this uh, important for such a time when people are they are they're, they're struggling and grappling with issues around race relations.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. The beautiful thing about the Ten Booms is, you know, they did not set out to uh, rescue 800 Jewish refugees. They set out to love their neighbors. You know, Uh, they, they looked at who was in need in front of them, who was knocking on their door. And they said, we are here not only to help you, but to welcome you into our home, to make you comfortable, to give you what you need, to feed you, to clothe you, to take care of and love you because you are a fellow image of the creator here on earth. And man, that is a message that is never not going to be important. And I think the danger is that we can look at history of something like the Holocaust and think, Oh, that's not going to happen here. Um, And it's no, it's probably not going to happen in that exact way. It's probably going to happen in some way that is similar, but seems innocent or seems more understandable. And so when there are, Uh, refugees streaming across the border, or refugees being flown in because they're removed from a war zone, or there's somebody that's not like me who is oppressed in society, you know, it's not, uh, as a Christian, it's not optional for me to choose whether or not to love the person who is my neighbor, right? Christ doesn't say, love your neighbor if, (laughs) he says, love your neighbor, Uh, And so that's, I think, the lesson of the tin Booms, which is, you know, going to be of eternal significance in any culture, any time, because, you know, this side of the new creation, we're not going to get rid of these divisions among people. Um, They're going to be there because we live in a fallen world.
0: Well, I want to invite listeners to join in our conversation today uh, your opportunity to interact uh, with the playwright, the screenwriter for the film. And we're talking about this new film, a a Nashville stage production based on the book that's written by Corrie Ten Boom called The Hiding Place and this new film about to be released. Before we go any further, Pete, let's take a call from listener Pinky is joining us from Queensland. Pinky, the truck driver, but you're not out driving your truck today. No,
3: no, I'm not, Neil. I'm actually at home.
0: You're at home today, and uh, something's, something has sparked your attention as we're talking about The Hiding Place. Is that something that you have a memory of? Did you see the movie many years ago?
3: No, uh, Neil, but I'll, I, what I'll do is I'll put the brain on, as you know, Pinky in the Brain. Yep. But she's got a story to give you quickly about a very same subject as what you're talking about, about her grandparents. I'll put her on. Uh, it's Marita. Uh,
0: Marita. Marita. Hello, Marita. Um,
1: hi. Marita. Um, I... I was just going to um, tell you about my great-grandparents. My great-grandfather, Milas, he had a uh, boat, a scoochie or barge, as they called them in English, and he used to go up into Germany and he had a false bottom in his boat and he used to bring back some Jewish people back into
3: Friesland.
0: That's outstanding. Uh, So you're connected in your own family heritage uh, to, did you say it was your grandfather? Who did you say it was? My my great-grandfather, Milas. Your great-grandfather, Milas, who was involved in uh, rescuing Jewish people who were being hunted down by the Nazis. Uh, Let's uh, bring our, our guest, Pete. Uh, we've got a, a connection here in Australia to the similar sort of things that Corey Ten Boom was involved yeah. in. What are your thoughts here for Marita?
2: That, that's amazing. And interestingly enough, uh, when we were in auditions for The Hiding Place, uh, uh, an actress came in to audition for a small part, and she was Jewish. And uh, during the course of the audition, uh, she mentioned that her mother and uncle were actually hidden during the Holocaust Uh, and smuggled around Europe and uh, they survived. And so it was an incredibly meaningful experience for her to be able to participate in the show and really reckon, I think, with uh, some of the stories of her heritage. And, you know, it's true that the the Tin Booms uh, are just one family of many who were out there during the war doing this kind of work to save people and to love their neighbors. So I'm so glad to hear about your great-grandfather.
0: And Marita, was it your great-grandfather's Christian faith that was his inspiration for this level of sacrifice? Do you know?
1: I I think that the Frisian people as a whole, they, they did a lot. Um, yeah, they are very, very religious. I've got a letter from my grandmother's uh, mother uh, saying about Jesus and her faith and when my grandparents moved out to Australia after the war um, she sent that letter and I still have that and I had it translated and um, she talked about her Christian faith that's on my grandmother's side and my grandfather's side were religious as well but my grandmother's family also hid a young Jewish girl they were asked to look after. She was sent out to the village to live with them because, um, yeah, you know, she was at risk as well. So um, my grandmother's family also looked after Jewish people. And she herself, in fact, actually rescued her brother out of a work concentration camp. She walked in there because the women didn't, So much get asked for identification and she took women's clothing in there, dressed her brother in women's clothing, walked him out of that work camp with her friend and he was hidden in the cellar for the rest of the war that they had there. So she was a very wow, brave yeah.
0: woman her mother. Marita, wonderful hearing your personal family story. And I want to thank you so much and uh, thank Pinky uh, too, uh, just for making contact yeah. and uh, just to share those things. That's been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us on 2020. Hey, Pete, when it comes to the motivations for the hospitality, for the personal risk and sacrifice of rescuing Jewish refugees the Christian way that the Ten Boom family was shaped. Any thoughts here? Because, you know, when you read something about the Ten Booms, there they're an ordinary family, but an ordinary family with an extraordinary looking to God. Any thoughts here around the Ten Boom's faith?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I I would not say that they are an ordinary family. I would say they are an extraordinary family. Uh, they were very, very religious. Yes, they read from the Bible every night at dinner. It was a tin boom tradition. And as I said before, they actually started this prayer group in their home specifically to pray for the Jewish people hundred years before World War II. Um, so, and then, and then on top of that, they didn't just look after Jews. Their their home was constantly filled with anybody who needed help. Corey uh, looked after the mentally disabled. You know, she taught them as a teacher. Uh, They had orphans and widows in their home. They would uh, look after uh, people who had been left behind by missionaries. Like So there was this constant sense in their life that they were there to serve anybody who needed them. And so you could almost make an argument for the fact that, you know, when the Nazis came along and caused this massive crisis, it wasn't a huge decision. They just were carrying on as normal because what they did was take care of people and so they had developed these habits uh, throughout their lives of loving the neighbors and of taking care of anybody in need who needed them and you know they certainly ascribed that to their christian faith as i think we all should
0: let's squeeze in another call before the news russell is in queensland hi russell welcome hello bless you um, i'm from melbourne actually like who you have
1: interviewed, her parents were my spiritual parents, and they were telling me that they actually had Corrigan Boom in their house. I was really impressed that uh, she'd been there for. A while. I would have loved to be there to meet
0: her. Whereabouts was that, Russell? No. Sorry, you live in that town uh, in Melbourne at Ivanhoe. Uh, so Corey Ten Boom visited Australia and uh, was there visiting a member of your family there in Ivanhoe, and uh, Pete, you know,
1: my spirit, no. spiritual parents. Okay, right. they were, they were and uh, I was really impressed that you've been there with them, and I thought I would have loved to have been there to meet her.
0: You know, I think that a lot of people might have that same feeling too, Russell. Pete. Corrie Ten Boom, when all of this brutality and concentration camps was over, she did devote her life to sharing her story and really inspired by her sister. She travelled around the world. Uh, clearly, she came to Australia. Yeah,
2: yeah she spent uh, 30 years travelling the world, visiting more than 60 countries, preaching, teaching, testifying to what she had experienced. Uh, she And it's really encouraging to me as someone who's 51 years old and can often feel like, man, what have I accomplished in my life? Uh, to look at Corey Tinboom, who was, uh, she had an entire lifetime uh, and was in her 50s before anything about the Jews or the hiding place happened. And then the person that she became, that everybody is so in love with, the, this woman who was such a brilliant teacher and speaker. Uh, she didn't even become that person, and she was in her late fifties. So there's no telling what's in store for me, <laughs> or any of us. You know, um, she was just really remarkable, and she died in her in her nineties. She actually died on her birthday, which in the Jewish tradition is a sign of being blessed.
0: Russell in Melbourne, thank you so much for your contribution to our conversation. We'll take some more calls after Vision National News, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 And uh, as you say, Pete, uh, about to go to news, but uh, this was no ordinary family. But the extraordinariness came when they were called on to actually live their Christian faith in that way of expressing their hospitality because uh, I remember <laughs> by my comment earlier an ordinary family because they're an ordinary family ordinary watchmakers doing ordinary things with their life but they were being prepared for what was extraordinary and it didn't come until their later middle years. Peter let's talk about the suffering aspects in all of this because the Ten Booms didn't need to make those personal sacrifices and be as courageous as they did, but they chose a pathway that led to some pretty significant suffering, didn't they?
2: Absolutely, yeah. The The entire family was carted off to prison. Uh, Corey and Betsy, her elder sister, ended up at Ravensbrück concentration camp in eastern Germany near the end of the war, and that is where Betsy died. And one of the first things that uh, I did when I was commissioned to write this story was uh, I went to Germany, uh, visited Robinsbrook, and I had never been to a concentration camp before. And I have to tell you, it's it's quite an experience. Um, Until you've stood in the heart of that kind of darkness, you can't really comprehend just how deep and wide and dark it is. Uh, you know, there's a moment uh, in the middle of that tour when I was standing in front of the crematorium oven where Betsy Tinboom's body was disposed of. Uh, and it's, it, you know, it's it just, it's an overwhelming emotional experience to be in that kind of place and feel the weight of how much death has gone through there. Uh, and I came back from that really changed in a big way. As I was wrestling through, how do we tell a story that reckons with this much death and suffering? Um, because the reality is, you know, this is a question that we've been asking ourselves for thousands of years. You know, how can we believe in a God who is good, yet He allows suffering to take place? You know, how do we make sense of that? And you know, I really approached this story with that question in my head. How did Corey and Betsy Tinboom make sense of that? Because the reality is, uh, if you read their story, here in the middle of the darkest point of the 20th century, potentially the darkest point in human history, um, we find these two women in a state of gratitude for their circumstances. Betsy lays down in a flea-ridden bed and thanks God for the fleas. They walk across the yard naked and they thank God for their nakedness. And uh, to me, as a 21st century comfortable American, these are startling conclusions that they're coming to. You know, it's hard for me to make sense of that. And so there's a sense in which the whole writing of the play was an F- my effort to understand uh, Betsy and Corey Tinboom.
0: We're taking calls on 1 800 316 316. Let's take another call. Uh, Petronella is in Western Australia. Hi, Petronella. Welcome.
4: Thank you, Neil. How are you going?
0: Very well, thank you. Uh, What are your thoughts?
4: Well, Mine is more of a comment. I recently found out about the book, The Hiding Place, from our pastor when she was preaching at church, and then I bought the book, and I read the book, and it really is a moving book. It is so challenging as a Christian, the love that the Temboon family had. It's so powerful, and especially the father when he was... When they were betrayed and was taken to prison, and he was eighty eighty five eighty seven years old, and he was asked the guard said to him, "You are old, you can go back home, but promise that you will not do this again." and his answer was, "If anyone turns up on my door, I will let them in that 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 love just just i don't know I don't know how to explain it, but that's so much love for people that they had and the sister Corey's sister in the book, she is amazing. Her love for people is amazing because in the book, while they were in concentration camp, they found out who their betrayer is. Corey at that point was filled filled with rage. But the sister was filled with love. And Corey asked her sister, Do you not feel anything against this man? And she said, Yes I do. I pray for him every day. Each time his name comes to my mind, I pray for him. What kind of love is that? It's just amazing. I've learned a lot from this book. I'm so thankful to the gentlemen that you have there that they've put this into a movie. I only finished reading the book last week and I've been telling my kids about it. But now that there's a movie, we are all going to sit down and watch it. So thank you very much.
0: Petronella, wonderful contribution. Uh, a thought or two here from Pete?
2: Yeah, I love what you just said about Casper. That's one of my favorite parts in the book and I, I'm, I'm excited for you to see that part of the film because it's one of my favorite parts but what's also remarkable is that after Kasper said that he said you know if anybody who knocks at my door I will let them in it doesn't matter who uh and it, uh it, historically the Nazis when he said that they took him off to the camp and he, he died he never came home again he made that courageous decision and it cost him his life which is beautiful But uh, I was struck in having just read the book again myself, that when Corey is released from the concentration camp, almost the first thing that she does when she gets home to uh, the Netherlands is to start hiding people again. Uh, They're not Jews, they are the mentally disabled, but the Nazis are also rounding the mentally disabled up and exterminate them. And uh, Corey immediately opens her home and begins to save these people again. Uh, after just been having been imprisoned for the same thing, which is just, you know, she's a hero. There's no other word for it.
0: Petronella, thank you so much for your contribution to our conversation today. And isn't it very interesting that Corrie is the one who is being shaped in her attitudes by her sister? And sometimes we think of Corrie as the hero or the heroine of the story, but it's her whole family. And uh, Corrie making sense of... What is happening to her and through her, uh, and seeing what's going on around her family. So she's like the interpreter of, of how God deals with these sorts of things.
2: Is that the way you see it too? Ab- absolutely. Uh, it's, it's so interesting. Mo- if you hear about The Hiding Place, uh, most of what you hear is about Corey Tinboom, and you could be forgiven for thinking that she's the hero of the book. But what you said is exactly right the hero of this book is Betsy Tinboom. Absolutely. And Corey here is testifying to her sister's remarkable uh, faith and her father's. And so it's beautiful to me to watch how uh, throughout their life they, led, they learned from their father as he provided an example to them and taught them how to treat people. Uh, and then uh, once their father died in the concentration camp, Corey learns from her sister, who has now kind of taken on the mantle of the leader of the family. And the leader of the faith in their family, and then by the end of the book, Betsy also is gone. There's nobody left but Corey, and so what does Corey do? She steps right into that same example, and for the rest of her life becomes a teacher, which is remarkable. And
0: Betsy says to Corey before her death, uh, before de- uh, Betsy's death in the concentration camp, as she says, "We must tell people what we have learned here." We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. That they, they will listen to us, Corrie, because we've been here. Is this the power of someone who has been through the suffering, been through the challenge, emerged on the other side? They're a witness to what has happened, and they are a walking demonstration of what it is to be a follower of Christ first. Uh but to have survived all of that.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that you drew that out. That's such a theme in the book and it's such a theme in the movie. Uh, you know, the reality is, it, it, we t- as Christians, we hear words like witness and testimony a lot. And we tend to think of a, a witness as somebody who stands up and tells somebody about Jesus. And if somebody gives a testimony, it's somebody that stands up and tells about the day that they gave their heart to the Lord. When, while those things are true, the reality is that these are legal terms, right? Uh, Witness and testimony. And the the Bible says that we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And what does this mean except that we are given the gift of these people who have seen things that we have not seen, who have been places we have not been, and they stand up before the jury, and they give the testimony of the evidence uh, so that we can believe it. Uh, And that's exactly what's going on in Betsy's words right here. You know, because they have been through something that most of us cannot imagine, uh, I think we can have the confidence of believing in their testimony and then being able to trust the thing that maybe we don't ent- entirely understand ourselves.
0: Pete, let me take us just a step deeper and maybe into some murky water here. Um Interesting, isn't it? And wonderful to be able to reflect on the virtues of these women as they've been able to survive the brutality of concentration camps. Coming back to their time of care for those Jewish people, as Nazis are hunting down those Jews, they're faced with all sorts of challenges, and Corrie suffers what's called a moral crisis. Because what she and her sister need to do is lie, steal, forge documents, make bribes, and they're faced with this sort of moral dilemma. Have you dealt with any of that in your stage production or in in the movie? Or how do you reflect on the way they were actually conducting themselves as Christian women and that they were led into and needed to do that for the survival of those Jewish people.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Corey was very uncomfortable with lying and deceit. And here she finds herself in the middle of the Dutch underground. You know, what is she going to do? It's a, it's a situation that is, uh, you know, kind of founded on the ideas of lies and conceit. Um, and we do address that in the play. You know, she's, she's very guileless. She's not comfortable with lying. Uh, and one of her friends, who's named Pickwick, Uh, in the play goes through kind of teaching her how to conduct herself uh, and to be able to stand up under an interrogation if she has to. And she challenges him. She says, I have no, I don't know how to do this. And he tells her, don't think of it as lying. You have to think of yourself as a shield that is protecting the people in your keeping. Um, And I think uh, that is a right way of thinking Like, if we boil those moral dilemmas down to their most simplistic terms, don't lie or don't kill, like, you know, sometimes you can't reconcile the two. You've got to choose. Uh, And so in the case like Corey's, you know, her entire mission at this point in her life is to protect these people that God has given her to protect. And uh, so she has to be the shield. And the shield means you take the wound in place of somebody else, right? So maybe if she's taking that, if she's telling that lie, uh, that's the taking of the wound, as the shield does when it blocks the blow. Does that make
0: sense? That makes sense and it's challenging that in crisis we might need to deal with those sorts of things Uh, understanding what is right and wrong but being able to choose to be the shield, uh, that as I say does take us into some murky waters but really worth us thinking more deeply about. Hey let's squeeze in another call. Heather is in Charleville in Queensland. Hi Charleville. Uh, Heather, welcome along. Good morning
3: Good morning. (laughs) I am just so thrilled with this uh, conversation um, because um, back in the late 60s, I think it was, I was a child staying at my grandparents in New Zealand and Corrie was actually a guest of my parent, grandparents who were pastors and the thing I, I knew about her as a young child um, but the thing that struck me when I met her in my grandparents' house was how tiny she was and she was very old at the time but how tiny but how gentle her face was and how humble she was and it was just such a great blessing to have actually met this wonderful woman and and knowing what she's gone through but um you know what's being said here and I just congratulate you so much for this new movie I can't wait to see it because it's something, the hiding place has always been something so incredibly special in my heart. So, yeah, again, thank you so much for your um, willingness to take
0: on this project. Heather, so wonderful to hear from you, and you personally met Corrie Ten Boom. I wonder if you can reflect, uh, remembering back to that time, did you appreciate just what a significant icon she would be at that time, when you met her, or was she just another visitor coming with a story? How do you remember that time?
3: I remember, if I can put it this way, I can remember her greatness. Um, I mean, I was only about, oh, I reckon I was seven or maybe eight at the time, but because of if it was her humbleness and her her gentleness. You know that just really astounded me. She was so incredibly kind, you know, for a to a, a very young child, and she was, and she just. I don't think I had the capacity at the time to really understand the whole story. Obviously, being so young, but um, I just remember this beautiful, beautiful lady, and um, just the warmth. She exuded. It was, you know, she certainly wasn't an I I I, and she certainly wasn't a person who was going to tell you her whole story, you know, like listen to let me listen to me. But um, it wasn't anything like that. It was just, just her incredibly humble presence that exuded from her. Um, Heather, yeah, that's just probably all I
0: can say. Wonderful. I'm so thankful that you've called through and just making that. Uh, that contribution to our conversation. Uh, Pete, your thoughts for Heather?
2: I My thought is that I'm so sad that I never got to have that experience. Like I've spent so much time with Corey and kind of wrestling with who she was and how she thought about the world that I'm really just enamored of her and she's uh, she will forever be a mystery to me and, and a wonder. Uh, and I love hearing stories like yours, and I've heard so many of them so many people uh, who have met her and talked about her in exactly that same way that uh, I just look forward to meeting her one day.
0: Heather, thank you so much for your contribution to our conversation. Just wonderful to hear from you. We'll have to put a line under any other calls for now, Uh, only a few minutes remaining for our conversation. If we're summing up some things here, I mean, you've got the film. It's going to be released here in Australia. And the themes, by the sound of the conversation that we're talking about, are uh, they are multiple themes. When you watch this film, are you going to be struck by the hospitality of the Ten Booms? Are you going to be struck by the forgiveness uh, that comes through this relationship, Betsy, and her sister Corrie? How do you describe those sorts of themes as they are interwoven through this whole cinematic production?
2: Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> I, I think you're on the right track. Like the themes of forgiveness and suffering and witness and testimony and what it means to carry. Uh, you know, if you've been in the middle of the darkest thing in the world and you've seen a light, what you want to do is go tell everybody about it. And I think that's essentially the story of Corey Tinboom. In the midst of the deepest darkness of the 20th century, she encountered something so bright that it changed her forever. Uh, And, you know, if we don't have something that we can learn from that, I don't know uh, what's wrong with us. (laughs)
0: It's a story about Christian faith, and it's a story about forgiveness. Uh, There's this practical dimension, though, that seems to be so apparent. And we started talking about this early in the conversation, this hospitality to strangers and how strange Mm. that might look when we're called on to be hospitable. Uh, this hospitality, is that something something of one of those themes that really shines through in your production?
2: Absolutely. Uh, Betsy says at one point in the movie that hospitality shall be our protest. And I love that. Like the, their response to warfare is not to fight. It is to welcome people into their home. And if that's not countercultural in our day and age, I don't know what is. Uh, I wish we fought more wars this way. <laughs>
0: Hospitality shall be our protest. Well, for the cinema goers, and look, I don't have a list of all of the cinemas where this is going to be released, but the Australian release, the 16th of August, and I might just reflect, today is the 11th. So coming up on the 16th of August, it is a one-day event. Uh, Theatres around Australia are going to feature this film on that day, August the 16th to get those uh, geographical locations. And uh, obviously, some listeners won't have a cinema near you, but those locations for theatres are listed on thehidingplacefilm.com. Thehidingplacefilm.com. Pete, this is being released around the world. Uh, Give us an impression here as to, you know, your home nation, the United States, uh, where I think it's already just been released or is about to be released. Uh, give us an impression here as to, as to how this is going to be viewed around the world.
2: Yeah, well, we're really excited for everybody to see it. It released here in the States on August 3rd. Uh, so it's been about a week now, and the response was overwhelming. Uh, just enormous box office on, on its two-day run here in the States uh, to the point that we've had hundreds of theatres asking to keep it in their theatres and to add it to their theatres. And uh, we're working as hard as we can right now to give audiences what they want, because the response is just, uh, you know, as somebody who's been working on this story for five years now, uh, to be getting this kind of response is really humbling, and I'm really grateful for it. So I'm excited for it to move beyond the borders of North America. Uh, There'll be folks in the Netherlands watching it, folks in the UK, folks in uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, all over the place, and uh, we just are looking forward to it.
0: And no doubt uh, you'll be basking in the afterglow of uh, the fact that finally your uh, baby has been birthed and it's uh, it's now going to be seen around the world. Uh, as a playwright, as a screenwriter, uh, Pete, are there other projects you're working on already? Because there's something that will follow up uh, this uh, wonderful production. Uh, uh, is there something you're working on you can share with us?
2: Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, we're always working on something new. So literally tomorrow morning, I walk into the office and we start work developing a Christmas carol uh, for the stage here in Nashville. And our intention is that we will film it in the same way that we've done with The Hiding Place and that eventually that will show up in theaters as well. So I'm a big fan of Charles Dickens and I've got my own kind of spin on the story and I'm looking forward to seeing what we're going to come up with.
0: Well, you keep my address handy, and uh, when you've got the, that one coming out, A Christmas Carol, well, we might do something similar to this and, uh, and, and talk through the themes and uh, all of the, the background. No doubt you'll be immersed in the research if you're going to be uh, doing what you've done with this film. So that, you bet. that website, once again, for listeners looking for the cinemas that will be featuring that movie, The Hiding Place, thehidingplacefilm.com. And our special guest has been Pete Peterson. He's a playwright and screenwriter. Pete, thank you so much for staying up and for sharing these thoughts with our listeners today on 2020.
2: Thanks. It's been great. Thanks for taking time
1: to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.